Welcome to the True Wealth Project podcast. The True Wealth Project podcast is all about how to give your wealth a meaning. Join us as we're exploring the areas of financial wealth, impact or purpose, and succession or legacy. My name is Sasha Janssen, and I'm your host for today's show. Today, I want to once more welcome Robert Gardner. Rob was a guest on the show for episode 12, in which we mainly talked about the need for financial education. However, as you may know, Rob is a savings and investment expert and entrepreneur. In 2006, he co-founded Reddington with a mission to help make 100, make 100 million people financially secure. In 2009, he co-founded Mellow Street, an online community for the long-term savings industry. Rob is currently the investment director for St. James Place Wealth Management. Hello, Rob. Welcome again to the True Wealth Project podcast. Hi, Tasha. It's great to be back on the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's really great to have you back. I mean, this episode is is going to take a slightly different format uh, as I'm aiming to take some really actionable results from our conversation. And I think you're, you're, you're a great uh, conversation partner for, for what I'm what I'm trying to really um, find out. Um, I mean, maybe by way of introduction, I, I, um, I, during the currently still raging COVID-19 crisis, I noticed that there seems to be relatively little uh, advice on how to adjust your investment allocations and decision as a, as a private investor, as a, as a family office, um, etc. So that is probably partially because the the full implications are still not really fully understood of whatever is going on and and what it means. But on the other hand, uh, there is a clear need to understand exactly that and and how all that um, will affect our future in terms of our economies, our societies, and as a result, um, our investment strategies. And um, I actually wrote an article on LinkedIn to summarize summarize my own preliminary uh, take on the implications and more medium-term possible consequences. And I'll put a link to that in the, in the, to the article in the show notes. Um, and, and I want to clearly stress, I'm, I'm not claiming to have all the answers and, and my views are still very much in the process of being formed. And, but nevertheless, I thought it to be quite a useful exercise to just write down my current impressions and, I'm really curious to talk to someone like you uh, about some of those aspects and what what specific kind of steps an investor could take to adjust for what is to come or what could come about, basically. Um, and one of the main impressions I have at the moment is is that the implications on many levels are are likely to be much more serious than what we're currently being told by the media and, 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 and politicians. Um, would you agree uh, on a bold statement like that? So I, I'd agree on, uh, well, I think what I'd agree is that we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, as you know, I'm based in the UK and there's an awful lot of comparison to what the UK has done versus hasn't done, you know, you're in Germany and Germany is regarded as a kind of country that maybe handled the situation better. Mm. Uh, Sweden is a country that people talk about. But for me, without getting bogged down into the kind of COVID-19 bit, I think it's the danger of predictions and forecasts. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, what has happened is we've had a sort of an acceleration of this 
you know, what is true and what isn't. So we're kind of in this kind of slightly ironic world where we've got more data and analysis than we've ever had before. So in theory, mm. our decision-making should be better. You know, I think we now have self-driving cars, cars that can park themselves, cars that can drive themselves. So that's incredible. And, and you'd think we'd be able to kind of use that kind of data and analytics to make better decisions. But at the same time, we seem to have politicians that are kind of distancing themselves from science and facts and, and good process and have a point of view or a philosophy or a set of beliefs and are kind of actually using our kind of human behavior and social media and the press to, to kind of reinforce that. So we have this very weird world happening right now, which is amazing data, more data than we've ever, you know, had, uh, we have amazing analytics, but what we're not getting is wisdom. And I suppose for me, wisdom is what you're kind of searching for. You're saying, well, look, Rob, where, where should I be investing my money right now? Mm. And, and just, I, I suppose, if I may, you know, what I'd like to do is kind of step right the way back and, and remember the kind of trajectory that we're on. And, and here's the truth. We're going to live to 100. Now, what people forget is that in the 20th century, so from 1900 to 2000, life expectancy in Germany, in the UK, went from 47 years old to 77 years old. That was a 30-year yeah. increase in, in life expectancy. Yeah. Around the world, birth rates are falling. People are living longer. We have this kind of aging societies. I think you know, the average age of the, uh, the median age of the population in the UK when I was born was about 33. The median age today is, is, is 41. It's probably similar for, for Germany. Actually, Actually in Italy... I think it's 49 or something I, I read the other day. So it's okay, well, well, yeah, slightly no, more advanced. Which is, <laughs> which is why you need immigration. You're right. I think Germany and Italy are some of the more sort of aging, uh, aging yeah. populations. So we've kind of got these known knowns going on. And, and what does that mean? So in the UK, the average person will run out of money. The average man will run out of money 10 years before he dies. And the average woman will run out of money 12 and a half years before she dies. And that's because uh, women will live longer than men for, for you know, structural reasons we know around kind of gender pay gap and all the rest. Women earn less than men. Uh, women end up saving less than men because of maternity leave. And when women invest their money, they tend to take less risk uh, than, than, than men. So, I suppose we've got to remember, why are we investing our money in the first place? Like, what's, what's the purpose of investing? I mean, on our last show, we talked about this idea of financial well-being in a world worth living in. And so, yeah. you know, financial well-being might mean something for me, which is, which is different than, than for, which is different for, uh, for, for you. And it's different for all of us. But, you know, that might be having a comfortable income in retirement. That might be, you know, having enough money to to set up with my children uh, with a decent education, maybe when they get older, uh, to support them with their marriage and, and, and starting a home. We all have different goals. Now, regardless of what happens in COVID-19, regardless of what happens in the investment market, we need to plan for our future. So, you know, as I say, it's really important that, that we all start spending serious times planning our investments around the things that are important to you or me or to your listeners. And the reality is so few of us 
do this. I'd love to, the stats not to hand, but I mean, I, I remember I think there was a campaign about a year or two years ago from Scottish Widows, which is a pensions provider in the UK. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, the, the amount of time the average person in the UK spends thinking or planning their retirement, you know, was kind of less than the amount of time people spend making a cup of tea or whatever. It, it's just woefully uh, small. I think the, the second thing is that, and here's, here's the tough part, that you can only invest for the long term if you've built financial well-being and, and financial resilience. So that's really about having enough cash to meet your short-term needs. I was trying to explain this to 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 someone the other day, and and this person was kind of in their kind of mid to late twenties, earning money. And I said, "Look, I bet you when your phone when you're commuting home and your phone runs low, I know exactly what you do. Your phone goes into low power mode. You probably stop listening to music. You know exactly which apps." use enough power and you make sure that you don't run out of battery before you get home or you know that you might run out of battery and you carry a spare battery pack with you now if you think of the energy in your phone what you're doing there is budgeting Mm. and you're recognizing that you've no longer got full power you're now going into low power and you're going oh i might need to make a phone call later i don't want to run out of juice before i get home it is no different with money and so what the conversation I was having with, with this, uh, you know, with this young lady was, look, if you're at kind of level one, your number one goal is to kind of shut down all the apps that are consuming the energy. So <laughs> your goal is to fill the battery back up. And the battery in this case is, is your money. Yeah. By the way, if you're in debt, the most important thing that you can do is start paying off that debt. And if you're paying credit card debt at sort of 22, 25%, one of the best things you can do is take out another loan, take out that debt and refinance. And if you can refinance from 22% to let's say 7 or 8%, that will make a massive difference and start yeah. repaying that debt as quickly as possible. And then I said, your goal is to build, get your battery up to the full. And I don't know what that is. It might be 500 pounds. It might be 500 euros. It might be a month's worth of wages. It might be three months worth of wages. We all know what that number is, or if we don't, we should spend some time thinking about it. But until we do that, we can't think, start thinking about investing for the future. It's interesting. On the, on the flip side, I was speaking to, 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 to someone else, uh, 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 you know, th- this person was kind of in their late 40s, 50s, an exec, earning, you know, good money, you, you'd consider them to be well off, but actually had done very little pension planning and was actually carrying quite a large amount of debt and, and suddenly was thinking, well, actually, I haven't really started preparing for, for my retirement. Uh, so a high earner, so on the face of it, you'd think was wealthy, but when it comes to kind of wealth, their true wealth, their true wealth potential, they haven't the base. Really, about having to equity markets, markets, financial markets, or uh, or the economy, and I, I just think it's important not to lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so so basically, you're saying we should all take a step step back and and uh, look at our uh, at our uh, batteries <laughs> and make sure they're full up before we start thinking about the long term. Um. 
I would entirely agree on that. It's, it's, um, however, uh, I, I think what we're currently going through is, is, I mean, leaving aside the, the, the virus aspect and in the narrower sense, I mean, I, I, th I think the, I'm, I'm primarily concerned at this point in time with what is happening to the economy, to our society and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and what I see at the moment uh, suggests to me that there are a number of um, structural changes going on and, um, uh, you know, just by way of example, I mean, um, I, th I think what's happening in the retail sector at the moment with all stores uh, being locked down, now they're opening in Germany to a degree again, uh, or they have opened, uh, but uh, the capacity is still severely limited to actually uh, generate turnover. So, you know, you, they can, they can uh, only let in a limited number of people into the stores and there's all the distancing regulations and you have to wear a mask, etc. So effectively, uh, just by, as a result of the regulations, they, they can, they cannot generate the full turnover that they would need to generate to even pay their rents. Uh, and then on top of that, there's still a reluctance uh, that I observe. Uh, might be wrong about it, uh, but you know that's what I observe when I walk through the streets and, and, and look at the stores. There's a reluctance of people actually going out shopping because they're probably still concerned about you know being infected, and 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 also it's it's just simply not fun wearing a mask and 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 talking to somebody else wearing a mask and and trying to do some. Uh, yeah, some some nice shopping, if you like. Um, so, so I think there are structural changes going on. Uh, yes, the virus may disappear, and and uh, people will go shopping again at some point. But I I fear that a number of uh, retail stores just simply will never open again, or will close their doors again within the next few months, just because they do not have the capacity. To, uh, to generate the turnover that they need. And I think similar things apply to restaurants. Bars are not even open yet in Germany. And I mean, they've been closed for two, two and a half months now. Um, I mean, how long can they survive? Um, yes, all the, all the restrictions will be lifted at some point, but I think there's a real risk the longer these restrictions uh, remain in place, and I'm not saying they shouldn't remain in place. I'm just saying if they remain in place, then the 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 lasting and and permanent damage that happens um, is just going to accelerate. And and I fear there might be a point. I'm I'm not saying there will be, but there might be a point where where there are domino effects that really accelerate this. So it it in essence, uh, could turn into something that, that is completely uncontrollable in terms of a downturn. So, no, I think there are a number of things there. And uh, again, if, if, if you allow me to step back, I, yeah. the reason I kind of talked about the battery is when I think you're investing for yourself and long-term wealth, I think your time horizon has to be five years or longer. Yeah. So the stuff that you've talked about, you, you know, I'm not going to argue with whether that's right or wrong in the next five years. I suppose what I want to do is reframe what happened five years to the next 50 years. Mm -hmm. And and you've got to remember that we've, you know, as a planet, 
the UK, Germany, we've faced massive structural shocks before. I think what we yeah. have right now is kind of this kind of concept called the fear of the unknown. Yeah. And we are going into the unknown. But, you know, just last week, the combined market cap of the fangs of Facebook, Apple, mm. Netflix, and Google exceeded $3 trillion. Yeah. The market cap of Microsoft is now almost the same size as the market capitalization of all the listed companies in the UK. Of all what? So my, all the listed companies in the UK. Ah, yeah, yeah. Not just the FTSE 100, the FTSE 250, the FTSE 650. Yeah. Microsoft is the most valuable company on the planet. Uh, it, you know, it, it's got a product called Teams that was competing with Slack, and it's yeah. just seen its user base just go through, you know, through the roof. It, you know, it's gone up to like 75 million customers. Uh, so, you know, and, and sorry, and I'm not trying to say that's right either. I'm just trying to. You know, the reason why the stock markets are all over the place is that, you know, the stock markets in the U.S. have recovered. That's driven by like 10 stocks. Uh-huh. So if you look at the dispersion of like the S&P 500 or the dispersion of stocks around the world, it's driven by these companies that have kind of recovered and doing exceedingly well and would continue to do well. So, you know, you, you're probably aware that, you know, the market cap of Zoom is now greater than the kind of seven largest airlines in, 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 in the US. So yeah. what's the so what of that? There'll always be winners uh, and, and losers. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing is that we know that once we go investment periods of 10 years or 20 years, actually over those kind of holding periods, we do see GDP growth. We do see stock markets growth. And therefore, you know, if the job of your investments is to kind of outstrip inflation and to, to kind of participate in, in global capitalism, then you need to make sure you're invested. I think the so what of that is you need to diversify your money. You don't want all your eggs in, uh, in let's say, retail or, you know, I know that's a very kind of uh, English expression, all your eggs in one basket. But, you, you know, you need to kind of diversify. You need to reduce risk by investing in different geographies. Mm. I mean, one of the lessons that we've learned in the UK is that, you know, UK investors have been overly invested in the UK. Mm. The reality is that, you know, the UK market has massively underperformed the US market, the S&P 500. In fact, the only European country that has kept pace roughly with US stock markets over the last 30 years is Germany. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I realise that. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, yeah. The, so, I mean, Germany is the kind of like best performing European stock market, uh, yeah. and and so you know, I, we we've faced structural challenges before. We we faced it doesn't you know whether it was the oil crisis or you know one one of the questions that gets asked of me a lot is you know what's the shape of the economic recovery going to be is it v shaped yeah. is it u shaped is it z shaped is it w shaped yeah. and and look this is this human need for certainty and this kind of complete uh lack of comfort with the unknown mm. i suppose you know one one thing is for sure is that things you know history doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes so at the beginning, people were comparing this to 2008 and people were comparing it to 
Yeah. And and then people started going back, yeah, but they're not the same and, and how are they different? But the thing that, that people don't realise is just how quickly the the response from the US, the UK, Germany, governments around the world, both monetary policy and fiscal policy to stabilize this. So you can remember in the global financial crisis, I mean, you know, we, we were having runs on the bank. There was a bank in the UK called Northern Rock and people were like yeah. queuing outside it to get their money. We don't have, we don't have people worried about a collapse in, in, in the banking system. Now, what we have had is mass unemployment and the unemployment is, is challenging. But I mean, you know, the interesting thing is that this kind of level of unemployment has been predicted by various people, not driven by a pandemic, but driven by technology and AI and the displacement mm. of jobs by technology. We know, you know, Andrew Yang, who was the Democrat candidate, was talking about universal basic income. If you think about one of the policy responses, the furloughing is effectively a form of universal basic income, right? We have, on the one yeah. hand, Apple and Netflix and Google doing phenomenally well, and yet we're having to sort of furlough people at, at, at the same time. So one of yeah. the things, one of my fears is the polarization of society. Yeah. What has struck me is just how well our food supply chains have all stood up. Our Wi-Fi connection has been incredibly robust in these times despite millions of people now carrying out their businesses i mean when, when we were going into lockdown in the uk people were hoarding food people were hoarding toilet rolls and then actually mm. people have realized that you know once people figured out how to kind of order their food online and you know mm. the huge waiting list and the kind of system normalized actually people have been able to get their food delivered home relatively well so it's important important to kind of step back and go what's working as well as what's not working don't get me mm. wrong the kind of societal impacts of what's happening are are huge but do i think global gdp over the next 10 20 years will we look back and go has this been a permanent shock mm. for 20 years i i think you need to be be careful and you know one one of the things that i think is interesting is if you if you look back to World War II, and if you look at you know trend GDP growth in Germany up until World War II, and then you look at GDP growth post World War II, actually it was steeper uh, post World War II, and that doesn't make any sense because effectively that's saying that all the economic loss that you had in World War II was replaced and recovered not just to get back onto trend line growth, which is a V-shaped recovery, but actually overshoot and create faster growth than Z-shaped. Yeah. Why is that? People don't realize that at the start of World War II, in 1939, the German cavalry was on horseback. Yeah. The Germans invented the Panzer tank, which was arguably one of the finest tanks at the time, the Germans invented the electro-diesel submarine that could go faster underwater than it could go on the surface. An incredibly sophisticated piece of technology. They invented the, the jet engine, the, the Messerschmitt 262, which was kind of the fear of the Allies that, you know, if, if the Germans ever kind of got enough of these built and in the air, yeah. would, 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 would not have worked out well. Now, I don't want to go into a kind of conversation of, about war. My so point, my so what of that is 
pre-World War II GDP growth, post-World War II GDP growth, huge supply, uh, sorry, huge shock to the economy in Germany and around the world. And yet the technological innovation that happened in that six-year period set mm. Germany off on, 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 on a different trajectory. By the same, the same happened in the U.S. Actually, what happened was that, you know, Japan was doing phenomenally well economically pre-World War II. There was the Battle of Pearl Harbor. The Japanese, the, the Japanese had their kind of navy smashed by the Americans. And then I think post-Pearl Harbor, the U.S. manufactured 100 battleships per one Japanese battleship. So the industrial machine in America went into overdrive. So that by the 1950s in America, if you were the sort of, average mum and pop living in America, you had a car, you had a washing machine, you had a fridge, you had a television. So the quality of life in America, the kind of Pax Americana, was very, very high. Now, that was kind of an outworking of the kind of, and by the way, that was, you know, there'd been the Great Depression and then there'd been World War II. No one would have predicted that in the 1950s, People would be eating burgers, uh, driving cars, having washing machines, in, in, in a way. And I suppose I just want to caution. I'm not saying that's going to happen either. I just want to caution against sort of getting pulled into a very pessimistic view of the world at an aggregate level. Mm-hmm. I, I don't disagree with you. There are going to be fundamental changes to our travel industry, our restaurant industry, our sports and entertainment industry, how that works and plays out in the future will be interesting. But again, what people don't realize, Alibaba, which is, you know, the kind of Amazon, you know, tech darling of of China, their success was born out of SARS in 2003. Chinese people weren't doing online shopping. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So Alibaba really took off and became an established kind of commercial viable company as a result of SARS. Mm. Because guess what? People people didn't want to buy their stuff online. Yeah. And then SARS yeah. forced people to do it. And then everyone went, hey, hang on a minute. This is a damn sight easier and it's cheaper and it's faster and it's better. Why why would I go back to, 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 to you know, buying the stuff that I want the old way? Yeah. So yeah. I, I just want to caution against... Uh, being too bearish, but also, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not. I'm not pretending that I'm a. I'm bullish. I'm just trying to present the counter argument. Yeah, well, I I entirely agree. I mean, and I, you know, that I think there are basically two points. I mean, first of all, it all depends on your time horizon. I mean, if you look at it, you know, over the really longer term, as you say, 10, 20 years, but, you know, we've had a guest who was advocating a hundred uh, year view, you know, things look entirely different, um, uh, of course. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, um, or I don't think that, that the, the, the current crisis will, will basically uh, necessarily destroy uh, all our economies, uh, fully destroy them. But um, yeah, I think in the medium term there, there there will be disruptions, and and I'm asking myself, you know, what consequences should I take now? To uh, as you say, you know, there there are always winners and losers, but you know, I, I I want to try and make sure that I'm not on the losing side of of things. So there is a question of you know how do you adjust for the shorter to medium term 
uh, or should you adjust or should you just remain calm? And the, the, the other point is, is I think that, and I think you're quite right about that. And, and there's something that I don't think I had on my horizon, um, until now, but it's absolutely true that that crises do spark uh, invention and creativity and 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 uh, the necessity to rebuild things. So um, from from that, I think an enormous uh, uh, growth momentum can 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 come. Basically, yeah. And my concern is it may not be even, and this kind of. Yeah, in ever increasing polarization of the winners and the losers. Yeah, uh, will 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 play out. But but look, what, why am I bullish? I mean, you mentioned in the beginning I'm an entrepreneur, and and for me, at the end of the day, entrepreneurs are run by people. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is what sets kind of people, human beings, apart from animals is our ability to use tools and create stuff. Now, I mean, you know, chimpanzees, we know we. we use tools and they can make stuff out of twigs and stuff. But humans have been inventing tools and building on them for thousands of years. But that acceleration has really taken off in the last 150 years and it's accelerating. So the flip side, we've never existed in a world with as much data, with as much technology as we have today. I mean, I think Peter Diamandes said that a Maasai warrior today stood holding a kind of smartphone has more kind of communications and technology in the palm of his or her palm than Ronald Reagan had when he was president of the United States of America. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So our our ability to do stuff that we never even imagined. I mean, actually, you know, in in the global financial crisis, Asha, we would have never met. Me and you have never met. We connected on LinkedIn (laughs) We've spoken on WhatsApp, we've shared WhatsApp. I kind of feel like I know you, but I have never physically met you. That's true. That's and true, yes. <laughs> and it's not that long ago, is it? Recording a, a podcast yeah. and all the rest. And I think yeah. that's amazing. That's uh, yeah, true. And, and so in, in some respects, the world has never had more opportunity for to build stuff, to design stuff, the kind of cost of, certainly in a technology world, of doing stuff has never been greater. I think what, what, what my fear, though, is this, for me, probably accelerates the polarization of those who have and those that don't, and, and actually probably drives down social mobility. And I think rather than letting politicians drive a wedge between that we need to find a way to bridge that gap we need to ensure that learning about how technology works learning about building financial resilience Mm. you know is is something that needs to be done i mean here's the interesting thing is 200 years ago if you were wealthy you probably wanted to be fat and plump you know yeah (laughs) <laughs> a little bit overweight and all the rest. That was an expression of wealth. It basically yes. said, hey, look at me, I'm wealthy. I can uh, kind of eat what I want. Uh, Today, the wealthy people are fitter and stronger and probably uh, work harder than, you know, definitely work harder than the wealthy of 200 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and and so here's, here's the kind of slightly ironic, not ironic, ironic is the wrong word, but this kind of new world 
And, and the danger here is it's like compound interest on steroids. I mean, technology is compounding at a rate that we could never even mm. imagine. Yeah. And, and so how do we ensure that, that we kind of keep a level playing field? You know, right now, kids in the UK, and I'm sure it's the same in Germany, will have missed three months, six months of their education. Yeah. But depending on what family you're in, You'll have either basically had six months of no education, or you might have had six months of your, you know, your parents giving you homeschooling, you know, signing you up to online courses and all the rest. And again, that just think how that will play out over the next five, ten years. Mm. So yeah. the, the bit that I'm worried about is, you know, all the kind of sixteen to twenty-four year olds. What happens to them over the next five? Yeah, years? yeah, yeah. I, I think. Yeah. Again, there are many points in what you said, and it's it's certainly one one thing that I think comes up time and time again is is acceleration. And I mean, the 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 current crisis I think really acts as a catalyst to in 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 so many situations and 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 aspects that it really accelerates. You know, the the, the decline of retail, but the 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 rise of online and and you know many many aspects that there are affected, um, and it really acts as an accelerator. I mean, just as an example, I think you know the, the, we've seen the first insolvencies in Germany, uh, but I think they were, from what I've observed, all companies that were in distress before the crisis. So it basically acts as a as an accelerator in that sense too. So you know, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. I it's, mean, there's it's, the Austrian school of thought about economics, and there's Schumpeter, which is kind of creative, you know, destruction. Is it you know to what extent mm. does it weed people out? I mean, again, we talked at the beginning about financial resilience and and having cash. I mean, here's the here's the thing that those Microsoft, Apple, Google have massive cash balances. Yeah, you know, they're not over levered. They, they've got lots of cash and and by the way they might go and renegotiate with all their workforce and say look we, we want you all to work from home but I'm going to pay you 20% less than I was paying you before but their workforce might go I'll do that all day long why would I live in London if I could yeah. live in Scotland or yeah. on the south coast uh, you know yeah. I might happily take a pay cut and not have to commute into London every day maybe yeah. come into London once a month or once a quarter for a kind of team check-in, but but work from home, yeah. work, work where maybe my quality of life is higher, my rent or mortgage is cheaper. Uh, so, you know, that, that might be a win-win. We already saw in the UK that, what's interesting, because in the UK we have London and then these smaller cities. In Germany, yeah. it's a bit more evenly spread between your big yes. cities of kind yeah. of Frankfurt and Munich and... Uh, and, and so forth. But even before that, there was a bit of a quality of life trade and go, well, you know, I could live in London or why not go and live in Bristol or go and live in Manchester or, or Leeds to get the benefits of a metropolitan lifestyle and good jobs, but where rent is cheaper, where, where, where yeah. traffic is, is yeah. lower. <laughs> you know, pe people have been talking about the end of lots of things, but, you know, maybe it's the kind of end of geography. Maybe, you know, this idea that, what what this has done is for what well, yes and no sorry for some people it means that you can work anywhere in the world anytime mm, on the one yeah. hand 
Yeah. Now, for other people, if you work in the restaurant business or if you're a plumber or uh, you need to physically go somewhere, now that's where it's more challenging. And I think that that's where we need to think about how do we, you know, how, what are we going to do about those jobs? What are we going to do about the unemployment that that, 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 that creates? Yeah. And how do we address that? And the question is, do, do we let companies sort this out or does it require you know, government inter- in intervention. And, and then I'm guessing this goes down to the heart of kind of politics. And, you know, is this kind of big state versus small state, you know, Republican versus Democrat or, uh, you know, conservative versus, you know, versus Labour? You know, how, what, what do we do about it? I mean, my view is, that, you know, there is enough energy. We know enough energy arrives on Earth every day from the sun to power the planet in a very short period of time. We know we have enough food, but we also know that that energy and that food isn't evenly distributed. Mm-hmm. We know that income is not evenly distributed, and we know that wealth is not evenly distributed. How do we kind of start distributing these in a kind of fair, in a fairer way, but without upsetting the kind of apple cart of of capitalism? You know, how do we move to a more sustainable capitalism? Because I'm not sure that sort of moving to a, you know, a, a pure kind of communist type approach will lead to better outcomes either so somehow we need to find a a better way of redistributing the wealth where we acknowledge that that certain people or certain groups of people or certain organizations might create more economic growth than others but let's make sure that they don't get rewarded for doing that if they're destroying the planet or kind of being unsustainable. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, make sure that that, 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 that can be used and redistributed to, to help other people. And I think, you know, th- this is the idea of universal basic income that you, you could, you could tax the big tech companies and use some of that money to, to create, you know, UBI so that then everyone has a base level of kind of, quality of life yeah i mean I, I i don't know um how it's in the uk at the moment but in germany there's certainly a discussion uh that is uh i think still um in the in the beginning stages but i hope it will gain momentum because um you know i, th- I think that and and i wrote that in my article too that that um post-crisis recovery efforts uh in my view, should strongly emphasize um, climate-friendly measures and actions, and 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 they should also include things like, as you said, you know, redistribution, and 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 uh, they should um, at least spark a, a debate about, you know, how do we want to live in the future, and how can we start moving towards that future using all that money that is being poured into the recovery now. Yeah, I mean, for me, this is this kind of idea of make your money build the world that you want to live in. And, you know, how do you use your investments to shape the world around us? Yeah. You know, I think what's fascinating is in 1982, Exxon did an internal report that predicted what the level of CO2 in the atmosphere would be in 2020. Yeah. And they built a model, and basically they predicted that by 2020 – the CO2 parts per million would be 420 parts per million, which is almost bang on 
their prediction. So 1982, yeah. based on you know population growth, energy demand, and all the rest, they kind of forecast that change. In 1978, so four years earlier, uh, there was a part, I think it was called Exxon Enterprises, but it was kind of like their innovation lab. And they mm-hmm. developed a hybrid car in 1978. Yeah. I think it was called the Cordoba. Yeah. That was a diesel electric car that was 95% more fuel efficient than <laughs> current cars in 1978. Yeah. Yeah. You, you and I know that that Cordoba never came into effect and yeah. never got commercialized or, or never became a, a sort of popular car. So the, the, the long-term damages and consequences of climate change are, 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 pretty, are pretty clear. And, you know, what we need to do to, to stop that is pretty clear. What we do know is that 2020 will have seen the largest fall in CO2 in any one year yeah. in the last 100 years. But the question is, you know, how quickly will it bounce back? Will it bounce back to the same level? Will it bounce back to a lower level? So a bit like the, the, the economy question. But I do think we need to kind of question and go, well, okay, if we're going to, you know, if we're commuting less, that's a lot less transportation. Yeah. What, yeah. What, you know, why do we need cars burning petrol and diesel? You know, the technology yeah. exists to, 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 to move to electric. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. UK has already made a pretty good transition over the last 20 years to kind of massively reduce the amount of coal it has and to increase the amount of renewables specifically for the UK, wind power. Uh, we know that Spain, you know, Spain and Portugal have made really good efforts using solar power panels and also using uh, hydroelectric power. So, and, you know, we know the Alpine countries of Switzerland and Austria have huge kind of resources at their disposal if you use hydroelectric power. So yeah. how we know the world needs energy, that's for sure. But how can we shift our energy production you know, let's call that electricity to a more sustainable way. And then how can we make sure that the, the stuff that we need energy or that needs energy to work moves to a more sustainable one? And, you know, the best example of that is transportation. And, you know, we need to move to electric combined with sustainable production of, of electricity as a starting point. And, and that will be a game changer. I think, you know, the other stuff that we need to look at is, you know, the clothes that we buy – you know, are they sustainably sourced? How much water is needed to manufacture our shirt or our polo shirt or or, or whatever item? Because I think we need to become better at kind of pricing the the true cost, not just the kind of economic cost of production, but what's the kind of total cost. Well, I think, I think it's, it, CO2, CO2 pricing, pricing is, 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 a, is a good starting point, point but, but, but you know, it's, you know, it's, it's clearly not all the cost that, that, that needs to be incorporated. Um, uh, but I think but it's, I think it's, it's a, good a good starting point. point. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's, 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 that's um, um, well, well, I mean, I mean again, coming again, back to the example of Germany, we're currently having the debate of, you know, should the big car producers be, you know, benefit from, from any subsidies in, by way of, uh, you know, subsidizing new cars, and there's this big discussion, you know, should, 
Should um, a few burning cars be subsidized, yes or no? I mean, of course, the, the, the car producers want it, but um, I, I think we, we should set um, you know, a clear message, send a clear message by saying, you know, we, we, we want a change and, uh, you know, make it happen now. I mean, this is the opportunity and I think we should take it. And I hope that, uh, that not only you and me think that and uh, that, that, that the politicians will, will also um, go down that route. I, I think there, there's, at the moment, there's a good case for it. And I think we have a real opportunity to, to make some real shifts in, in, into the right direction. So I think, you know, what struck me is a few years ago in the UK, for whatever reason, we decided that we didn't want to use as many plastic bags. Yeah. You can still have plastic bags. Yeah. And all they did is they charged 5p to use a plastic bag. And then suddenly everyone started bringing their own bags. Mm. It's not, it's not, you can't use a plastic bag. And by the way, it's not like 5p is such a massive sort of cap you know, not not to do stuff, but it created a radical transformation in behavior yeah. around around use of plastic bags. And I, and I do think, look, companies need to create jobs. We want Volkswagen and BMW to, to create jobs. So we know that's good for the economy. That's good yeah. for families. We know that keeping people employed isn't just about economic growth, but it's about yeah. winning, you know, put, mental well-being as well you know if, if people aren't kind of consumed or, or used in a purposeful way that's not good but I, I i do i you know i think you know there's no reason why you couldn't say look here's the subsidy but you can only use it for this yeah. you can't use it for yeah. and and now's the time you know now's the time to make the transition there's never been you know you've been deciding about when to make the transition it must happen now I also don't think it's just the job of, you know, politicians. I think it's the job of the CEOs and the leadership teams of those businesses. Yeah. You know, the CEO of BW or the CEO of BMW could be going to the government and saying, look, hey, we understand what's going on. We think we have a valuable role in society to play. We need to transition. Help us transition. Help us subsidize us. And let's retool our plant. And, you know, we, we can pivot now. We can, we can, you know, pivot five, 10 years faster than we said that we were going to, to, to EV. And th th that's the opportunity. So it's not just, yeah. it's not just sort of look to the politicians and say, why don't the politicians do it? We need to look to our corporate leaders who get paid yeah. a lot of money to make the right decisions as well. Absolutely. I, I entirely agree on that. And I actually think that, that, um, um, well, I want to be careful how I phrase this, but basically my, my impression is that, that a lot of the big corporate leaders still have not uh, realized that they actually have a huge opportunity to win the hearts of people um, if they actually went down that route. Um, now, I mean, I don't know whether you've uh, observed it, but VW just got a big slap in the face by the German courts. Basically, the, the courts saying, yeah, you, you uh, um, knowingly deceive people uh, with the diesel scandal, etc. So that, you know, that was the, the highest German court slapping them in the face. And um, I mean, they tried to fight it until the, the, the very last minute. And I think it was, it was wrong of them to do that. They should have acknowledged that and they should have accepted it and they, they should have um, 
taken that as an opportunity, as you said, to pivot. And and I mean, they 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 are pivoting, but I think the impression generally is that they're only pivoting because they're being forced to be to pivot. And and I think that's the wrong message to send, basically. And they're they're missing an opportunity. They're missing an opportunity, and they're not the only ones. I mean, the the other car producers are are quite similar, and in 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 that respect, and uh, a number of the other big corporates too. And and I think it's it's a shame, really, because they you know they are beacons of our economy, and they have power to. Um, to send messages to people and 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 to to shift the direction of the economy basically and 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 the way that we run economy our economy yeah no i agree with you i mean i think this for me is a metamorphosis moment whether it's a you know a caterpillar becoming a butterfly or whether it's a, a snake shedding its skin you know the, 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 this is the opportunity for to kind of reset to renew to refresh yeah. You know, actually, if you think what the CEO of Microsoft did when he came in and he took over and said, hey, by the way, we're pivoting our business. We've lost our way. We're going to go into cloud. We're going to do all of these things. And now, yeah. you know, now, now Microsoft's doing phenomenally well. That's the power of good leadership, right? Good yeah. leaders yeah. hire good people, set the right governance up and make these good, you know, long-term decisions. I think you know, in the in the UK and in Holland, you know, BP and Shell, uh, I think are taking the steps in in the right direction to address this. And I often get attacked by people because people see me as very passionate about climate change and the environment. And they're like, how can you be supporting? I'm like, well, I'm not supporting Exxon. I don't think Exxon are doing a good job. I'm not supporting Petrobras. Yeah. I'm, yeah. But within that kind of cohort, these businesses are trying to pivot. Bernard Looney, the new CEO of BP, has acknowledged and is transforming BP. I mean, I cannot imagine what a tough job he's trying to do. But I think what he's attempting to do needs to be supported. We need to, our good leaders, we need to support and cheerlead and not shoot down. And and yeah, we need to kind of call, call people to account and be like, well, what are you doing? I mean, this is part part of the issue is that people are afraid to come out and say, yes, I'm wrong and all the rest because they think they're going to be hung out to dry. So it's almost safer to kind of, hey, let me see if I can use lawyers and rather than going, you know what? You're right. You know, we shouldn't have. And, you know, we've dealt with it. We've got rid of some key people. We've brought in some new people. And look, this is a brilliant business that's been around for a long, long time and will continue to be a brilliant business. And, you know, we need to evolve and we need to adapt. And this is yeah. what the new, this is what the BW of tomorrow looks like. This is the way ahead. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I also think that, that um, going away from individual companies, but, but maybe uh, looking at the, uh, the way that we as societies um, look at our economies. And I mean, there's this, there's, there's been this mantra about growth and, you know, everything was about growth and GDP growth and growth and growth and higher, further, faster, and and what have you. Um, Do you think this could also be an opportunity to, to look at that and to question whether we actually need constant growth? It's a good question. I mean, I've, I've always sort of bottom up, I've always kind of challenged, 
a need of kind of why do you need to keep growing? And, you know, it's almost a, a sort of micro level. If you have a farm and you can kind of grow enough food to feed your family and all the rest, why do you need to grow any more? Mm. Uh, and and so sort of like that that bottom level. I, I mean, what we do know is that obviously, when economies don't grow, that kind of causes causes problems. I'm guessing the question is, what's the sustainable growth rate, and how do we how do we kind of yeah balance that? Because you know, we do know that nature and you know nature stuff grows, but we also know that stuff dies, right? We know that yeah. that that's and and I think you know maybe part of the issue is that you know either in 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 the global financial crisis we kind of kept zombie organisations companies organisations going for longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do do we need you know now is how, how do we kind of create that natural that truly natural cycle where unhealthy fruit rots? You know. Yeah. Some animals, you know, die. You know, m- you know, maybe ultimately to kind of grow sustainably, we we do need to to allow you know some some organisations to, to to not survive. And I think, all for them to survive, they need to reform. And reform is probably more radical than just a little bit of kind of you know feather dusting, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, one thing I would comment on, and I think it was on your post, and you talked about inflation. I, I do think, whilst we kind of operate in a capitalist world, you know, how are we going to get out of this? And my sense is, you know, obviously the preferred way is to grow our way out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, rather than default. Uh, but I do think the idea of financial repression. I, you know, issue debt. I mean, in the UK now, we've got negative nominal yields on our gilts, which is, you know, our kind of UK government bonds. You know, why wouldn't you keep issuing bonds, use that money to build infrastructure or build build things, and then, you know, let inflation run and then you know the the debt you have to pay back in 10 years time or 20 years time is worth less than the money you bought today so i i I do think sort of financial repression may be the kind of preferred pathway out for kind of policymakers from here and i think just linking that back to your kind of opening gambit at the beginning about where do i invest my money what do i do is on the one hand i think individually we all need to have enough cash to cover short-term needs you know what if there's a second lockdown Mm. you know what if you lose your job and all the rest Mm. but no that cash will be subject to financial repression so that cash certainly don't hoard all your cash to live for the next 25 30 40 years because that that money will get inflated away and i think that does mean therefore that with your kind of excess investments your your excess savings your long-term savings you need to invest that uh, and I think, you know, for me, it's invest for the long term. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. So diversify, invest in different markets, in different geographies, but then, but allied with the fact that you want to make your money build the world that you want to live in. So, you know, make sure that it's invested mm. uh, 
you know, either with a very strong responsible investment lens, a very strong focus around ESG or, or climate change. Yeah. But, but 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 stuff that you that you care about. So I, no, none none of that sort of predicts the future. But 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 I think there are a couple of known knowns, which is that you know at an aggregate level we are all living longer, and therefore you do need to sort of plan for this kind of idea of a hundred year life. We do know that actually having a plan materially improves your kind of probability of success. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's you know research done by Morningstar in the U.S. shows that those with financial plans end up with typically fifteen percent more wealth than those without, and that's mm. not because they get better investment performance; it's because they kind of compound better in you know wealth wealth decisions around saving, investing, tax planning yeah. than those that don't. We know that uh, you need to build financial resilience, so you need to have enough cash. Is that one month, three months, six months? You know, that's a very personal question. Mm. Uh, but but then if you are going to kind of fund your 100-year life, you, you, pro- you know, you probably do need to be invested. And, and certainly, look, in the UK, there are some, you know, really quite strong tax benefits, incentives to save for the long term, be that in pension savings or individual savings. Rappers. I'm sure that you know the same is true in the US. I'm, I, I don't. I don't know how it works in Germany, but I'd hazard a guess that it's probably the same. But you're, you're incentivized. Yeah, and, for the long term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, generally, the, there are some incentives, but unfortunately, the 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 system in Germany is quite um, is quite rigid and and quite. Um, I mean, we, we, we don't have something like a self-invested pension, for example. I mean, it's, 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 not, um, it's not very flexible, unfortunately, I, I, I find. I mean, there are, it's, it's very heavily geared towards the uh, insurance industry and the, the pension fund industry, which, you know, to a degree, I think is fine. But, but, but I mean, I personally, I don't, I don't find myself there somehow. I mean, I, I, I have invested most of my money into property, which is, I suppose, you know, it is a risk because, as you say, you know, I've put most of my my eggs in one basket. Um, so I, I I clearly do need to diversify. Um, but I find the the particularly the 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 the, the pension saving system in Germany is is not very flexible, and it doesn't really allow you to um, to make up your own mind. I mean, it's very much geared towards funds and and insurance companies, and and I don't really believe in insurance products um well for investment purposes um i mean i can live with funds but um i i find it difficult to find um to find my way going into that um but that's just a side note i suppose um so would you um i mean we've been going down that path now and 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 would you would you have any specific um steps to take i mean um it's all very well saying be diversified but uh, what does that mean in reality i mean do you have any advice on 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 how you should diversify yeah look i i think a couple of things i mean first and foremost the, the big question is how much money you have in equities and shares and how much you have in bonds and, and yeah. property. 
And, you know, one of, one of the things that we know is that most individuals, when they're making their own personal decisions, are under risk. Mm-hmm. They don't have enough equity risk. And so mm-hmm. the yeah. key strategic question is how much of your kind of long-term savings should be in equities mm-hmm. versus in, let's say, safer assets like bonds. Yeah. So, you know, for, for someone who's a long way from retirement, I think that number is probably a lot higher than what the average person holds. That's probably the yeah. 60 to 80%. percent mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the first question is, what's your kind of very high-level equity bonds, property alternatives split? The second thing is invest in a kind of globally diversified way. And in, in the absence of kind of, you know, not knowing that, you know, I'd probably start with, you know, MSCI and, you know, indices that represent how stuff's weighted on a kind of global basis or GDP basis. So yeah. you've got an index that, Track, you know, the, the FTSE index has an all-world index. Uh, MSCI, which is an index provider, has a global index. So I would start with global, not local. And, and so often, you know, we see people in the UK with too much exposure to UK assets. We see people in Canada with too much exposure to Canadian assets. Mm. Uh, you know, one of the challenges of Iceland is, you know, Icelanders in the global financial crisis were massively exposed to the Icelandic economy. And I, I yeah. So... You know, make sure, you know, as I see it, I've got a property in the UK. I'm employed by a British company. So actually, I, I want to, you know, in my investments, I want to have as little UK exposure as possible. Cause, yeah, it's a good, you know, good, good perspective to take, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, again, spread, spread all your risk. I think, you know, the, the wise person doesn't know what will happen. So don't try and be too cute. If you want to be clever, then call it speculating and know that you're speculating. But if you're investing for your long-term financial well-being, you know, there was some stuff that worked brilliantly well in the 90s that doesn't work now. And there's some stuff that's worked over the last decade being long-quality tech companies. Mm-hmm. You know, will that continue to work for the next decade? Who knows? It might. Yeah. Very good reason it will. But, but you know, there was no reason why kind of value investing in the late 90s and early, you know, noughties shouldn't have continued working but you know that value investing has underperformed globally for the last you know 10-15 years so I, I don't yeah don't try and you know don't put all your money in definitely don't put all your money in one stock I wouldn't put all your money in even one economy yeah. uh, and and look in, in this day and age the ability to invest in a kind of globally diversified way is, is pretty is pretty easy to do Uh, yeah. So th- th- there would be my kind of simple rules. And by the way, all the stuff that I, I'm, I'm saying is stuff that I do myself yeah. you know, for me and my family. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Some really good tips, I think. Sasha, I'm going to probably have to go in a bit. So I don't know if you yeah. want to kind of figure out how to kind of wrap it up for all the rest, but yeah, it'd be good. To yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, uh, I, I think we're, we're, we're basically uh, through. So I'm, I'm happy to, to, um, to wrap this up now um i think it was a it was a great conversation i, I really <laughs> we we keep coming back to all this uh sustainable responsible investment theme and i, I think really it it is one of the one of the uh, mega trends of of uh, of the decade or i don't know how long but um so i really um appreciate that and um i also appreciate your your insights um 
I definitely take this as a as a hint to do some homework on my diversification away. Well, not away from property, but uh, you know, <laughs> next to property and with property. But um, I, yeah, I'm definitely overexposed to property, and um, it served me well. But uh, I think it's mainly because it's 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 my business uh, as well. It's not just an asset class for me. Um, but you know, thinking long term, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you need to be diversified and not not just exposed to one sector um, or asset class. So, um, well, thanks a lot. I, I I will actually edit this episode a little bit, but um, I th I think there are some some great tips in there, and I think it's it's not only useful for me personally, but also for for the listeners. So, um, thanks a lot, Rob. And um, apart from that, um, I am still due to come back to you about the translation thing, but we'll, I think we'll discuss that offline or on another channel. <laughs> okay, so, so thanks a lot for that great conversation. And um, we'll think about some, some follow-up conversation somewhere down the line because I think there's a lot more we can, we can still talk about, but we'll figure that out uh, within the next few months, I think, if you're up for it. Well, uh yeah, no, well, look, Sasha, it, it, it's been great to be on. And, and you know, uh, as I was saying to someone else, is that, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that the bumps in the road are the bumps. This idea that the one thing that we can be certain about is uncertainty. And, and therefore, you know, what, what do I do? What are the kind of rules or principles that I follow on this stuff? Well, first, I don't try and do single point forecasts of the future. But what yeah. I do know is that, I, you know, I, I am planning to live for 100 or I want to make sure that my financial needs are taken care of in the context of a 100-year life. I, I do know that in the same way that your kind of well-being is around your sleep and your diet and your exercise, that setting aside enough money is key to kind of financial resilience and financial yeah. well-being. And then I know that that gives me the freedom to invest for the long term and not worry about the kind of ups and downs of the market. Yeah. Uh, I'm also therefore investing and not speculating. I'm not trying to make lots of money. I'm also trying to not lose money and therefore I want to spread my bets. And yeah, I want to, you know, reduce my risk by investing in different things, uh, around the world. In the UK, we, you know, I make sure that I take advantage of all the tax allowances and we have some really good ones. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, the, the thing that we, you and I are kind of, passionate about is you know i really want to make sure that the money i invest is of course for good so i i certainly make sure that all my funds yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh uh when i use external fund managers are kind of signed up to the united nations principles for responsibility investing i try and understand the carbon footprint of my uh of my investments and and, and make sure uh that that they've kind of got a a as low a carbon footprint as possible whilst at the same time you know having a, a decent chance of performing and then also, I know that I don't know everything myself. So I try and get, you know, help from others and get top tips because, you know, the best thing you can do is kind of discuss it. And the danger is, you know, your blind spots. We all have blind spots. So yeah, sometimes it's yeah. helpful to get someone else to kind of stand back and, and, and have a conversation. So look, they, they, they would be my, you know, my summary tips of, of how to deal with the, the uncertain world that we face. Yeah. Well, Thanks again. Thanks again for the for the closing words. Um, it was really great to have you on. And uh, well, have a good night. Cheers, Thanks, Take man. care. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to the True Wealth Project podcast. If you like this episode, please do not forget to rate us on iTunes. You are, of course, also welcome to write a review if you like. Also, make sure you never miss an episode in the future by joining the True Wealth community. Just follow the link in the description and sign up at no cost. We promise not to spam you. Thank you.